This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. Welcome to a very important show right here on Voice of Change today with myself, Lauren Jacobs. It's your daily companion, Radio K Pulpit, 79 a.m. And it's Voice of Change time. And it's going to be a show that I feel is an important one. Of course, I feel most shows are very, very important because there's so much that we are learning and that we are talking about and that we are advocating for and that we are creating the change for. And, you know, as I've been saying a lot, you know, this month of August, yes, it's Women's Month. But as we think about Women's Month, we also just know that we honor women and we bring up their stories but today on the show I want to talk about something that's super super important and it's actually something that we don't talk a lot about and that is you know the face of male victims and survivors of human trafficking now we know about human trafficking we are well educated on human trafficking or we should be well educated on it because we know that it's happening by the millions slavery modern day slavery is alive and well unfortunately in our global community and not even in our global community in our national community in fact in our city we know that there are working people who are working in different areas you know in cape town to stop trafficking we know that there are people working at our airports to stop people from being trafficked so this is happening this is in our community this is in our society this is right where we go you know maybe on a weekly basis to travel for work or to travel for leisure people are being trafficked in these places and so today we need to talk about something that we don't often talk about and that is the reality of men and boys who are being trafficked you know we know that the percentages are actually rising we're going to talk about that on the show but we're also going to talk about the fact that we as a society Society need to do more to believe men and boys. You know, when we have these cultural understandings that men, you know, can't be trafficked or men can't be abused or men can't be raped, we are then just perpetuating a false belief and we are just lumping shame and guilt on those who are survivors, specifically of abuse, of rape, of assault, of trafficking, all sorts of things. This is happening to men and boys as well. And I'm joined by the incredible Anna Lucia Marissa, and she has earned a bachelor's degree in history and political science at the University of Ottawa in Canada. And she currently pursues a master's degree at the Royal Roads University in Human Secretary and Peace Building in 2012, 2015, 2017, she worked for three members of the Canadian Parliament where she conducted statistical research, policy writing, human rights advocacy work and during her time working with the Member of Parliament, Anna Lucia built a database to track human ca- trafficking cases and to provide supporting data for Bill C-310 which is a piece of legislation that enhanced the definition of exploitation when we're talking about you know, the criminal offense of human trafficking. She's also assisted many vulnerable communities, many victims of human trafficking, and she has worked in the nonprofit sector. She's currently researching male victims and survivors of sexual abuse and human trafficking. 
She's doing incredible research and she continues to work in research policy and advocacy for men, women and children who are facing sexual exploitation. So she has so much experience around her and so much insight into this topic. So she is joining me after this and we're going to crack this open today and create some awareness. So don't go anywhere. Anna Lucia, thank you so much for being with me today on Voice of Change. It's going to be such a great show because I know that not only are we going to be learning so much, but there is a, a topic we are talking about today, male survivors and male victims of human trafficking. That's super, super important. Before we get into that, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much, Lauren. It is such a pleasure to be here with you today. I am totally excited because this like I said is a topic that we need to talk about but also I want people you know not only to learn today but maybe I truly believe sometimes we're going to reach you know maybe family members or people who have had these experiences or know people or have family members who have these experiences and they don't know what to do about it so when we talk about you know trafficked victims and we talk about human trafficking I've done human trafficking on the show a number of times you know at the station a lot of us cover this topic but when we often cover this topic we often think of it as you know woman we think about the girl child which is very very important and we're not saying that that is not important but you know traffic victims and survivors are also male and it's not a face that we put to you know when we think about human trafficking and I wanted to ask you, you know, right from the beginning, what percentage, when we talk about, you know, human trafficking survivors and victims, what percentage is actually male and, and boys, young, young guys? Thank you so much for addressing this. It is so important. And so the first thing that I want to mention, um, I know that there's a lot of statistics out there, but in reality, it is very underreported and very understudied. So as much as statistics are great, they are often a little bit unreliable. But I do want to give you some examples of the stats that we do have um, that kind of show a little bit into the realm of, of human trafficking and exploitation. Um, so according to the latest UNODC uh, global report on human trafficking from 2020, um, a lot of Western and Southern Europe has actually detected uh, a lot of male victims, both men and boys, and South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa has also seen an increased reporting of young uh, boys and victims of trafficking. So where men make about 20% and boys 15 this means that the female victims are making about 65%. Mm. Um, but since 2004 to 2018, the percentage of male trafficked has increased from 13 to 20%. Mm. Um, and boys have increased from 3 to 15%. So we can see a very large increase in this number. Mm. Um, and so according to the 2018 stat, the majority of men that are being trafficked for labor are at 67% uh, um, and then 17 for sexual exploitation and 15% for other forms of exploitation with organ removal at about 1%. However, for boys, um, these stats are about 66% for forced labor, 23% for sexual exploitation and the remaining 11 for other forms of exploitation. Mm. Wow. So this, this again is now showing us that there is an increase that is happening. Mm -hmm. 
And the, exactly what you just said to us is that it's also underreported, which we're going to touch on on the show as well. You know, so these numbers are increasing. And when we talk about Africa as well, I mean, this is the continent where I'm living. We are talking about different forms of trafficking. And I think that that's important for us to realize. Again, when we talk about trafficking, we often have one perspective of it, of trafficking for sexual purposes, you know. And what I want to know, though, what kind of trafficking, you know, do men and boys experience? You touched on some, but I think that I'd love for us just to unpack that a bit more. What exactly are they experiencing? Yes, of course. So there's many kind of different forms of trafficking from the most common being uh, for labor, um, sexual, a combination of both labor and sexual. So for an example, um, let's say in countries in Southeast Asia, when a man is trying to cross over to a border to potentially go and get a job on a fishing boat, um, we actually have photo and video footage and where these men um, on these fishing boats are also then being like sexually assaulted and raped. Mm. And then when they're no longer used for the fishing or the fishing is done, they're then thrown overboard um, to die into, in the middle of the ocean. So we can see that in these circumstances of labor, there usually can also be um, a factor of sexual exploitation involved. Um, we also have debt bondage, so this is very um, crucial for like families where one family member is indebted to um, a company or a person and then um, they're, uh, they cannot pay this off even though it can be a very low amount. The inflation rate, let's say, of their bondage then accumulates and then it passes on to the next generation and the next generation you can get whole families Internet intergenerational stuck in debt, even though the amount that was uh, needed to pay off was actually very low to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have forced child marriages, um, child soldiers, and then organ removal. So those are just kind of some of the examples of um, exploitation that we have going on globally and especially, you know, in Africa as well. Mm. So when we talk about, you know, organ removals, for example, mm -hmm. is this is this something that is happening quite common? It's not something that, again, we talk about often, but again, you know, how 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 prevalent is that? And, you know, is it kind of experienced only in certain kind of countries or is it really a global thing? So there is definitely um, more locations where the uh, organ removal are so it's like the the victims and then the people that come overseas to then take those organs um, but we're seeing a lot of these um, situations in from Latin America to Africa to to Asia of course and for these organ removals um, cases a lot of these communities are um, they don't really understand the this process so either they think uh, it's legal and that their organ will then grow back mm. or they're promised um, money or that they will be fine and because a lot of these um, cases are done in like unhygienic clinics or something like that a lot of them can also then die be just from the process itself or then be arrested if in that country uh, it is, is illegal to do it. So we have a lot of those cases. But um, in Africa also, um, there's this amazing organization that also deals with, um, uh, what is it called? Child, um, 
sorry, I forgot, <laughs> but it is um, child sacrifice, I'm sorry. Yes. So when they do child sacrifice for, with like witch doctors and for voodoo practices um, to either gain um, strength or for medical reasons or for whatever belief that that person may have, that child might also experience organ removal and in those circumstances, the child is actually more likely to go through an organ removal process than an adult would in in um, child sacrifice uh, situations. Mm. And so it's very it's very sad for for the community because they're not um, getting the the right knowledge that you know that organs do not grow back and that they can really suffer from this. Yeah. And they will not actually get the payment needed, and so it's it's very exploitative. Mm. We actually spoke about child sacrifice on the show a couple of months ago with World Vision and there was another organization that also slipped my mind, which is terrible of me. And we were talking about child sacrifice. And again, what you're talking about is so important for us to think about and realize, you know, the rights of children are being exploited. Communities are trying to protect their children as well. But again, you know, there's a lot of things and high up government that's actually involved and, you know, trafficking is something that is happening in so many communities and i think that people just don't realize that it's not just you know the dodgy guy on the the that over there that's you know involved in trafficking so many people you know are involved in trafficking it's from high up like we said government officials and and very wealthy people we've started to hear these stories you know and started to see this all being uncovered how deep people are involved in this and it's it's really quite intense. And the thing that it leads me to kind of think about as well is that my, my, my thought is that there must be some sort of almost factors that make an individual more at risk maybe to be trafficked. And, you know, obviously we're talking about different communities. We were touching on Africa. We know there's like large-scale poverty and in, in, especially in rural areas and villages and poorer countries. Are there specific factors that have been identified that make an individual almost a certain target for people who want to traffic? And, and in this instance, we are talking about men and boys. So for men and boys, what would be those factors that make them easy targets? Mm-hmm. Of course. So for this, it's it's their experience with kind of prior victimization. So, for example, if they had prior sexual abuse, um, prior physical abuse, prior emotional, verbal abuse, um, also dating violence, witnessing to a murder, uh, loss through violent death, family abduction, stranger abduction, um, experiencing war or ethnic cleansing, experiencing oppression or terrorism, prior experience with rape and assault, um, also, gang violence, street violence, robbery, and so a lot of those factors, which would make anyone vulnerable to anything, yeah. um, really make a child or a man at risk to being trafficked in any of those other forms of trafficking. Mm. Um, however, um, going off home abuse of my um, my own personal research, uh, nine of these ten cases their abuser and their trafficker was actually their family member. So their father, their grandfather, their mother, or their auntie. Mm. And so looking at the larger study of sexual abuse in correlation to trafficking, a lot of these survivors actually knew their abusers. So either family, a family friend, the school coach, someone in the church, 
a police officer. Mm-hmm. It's always someone that's very trusted in the community. Um, or they could be in a completely different situation and they're homeless and they're very vulnerable and they unknowingly enter these forms of exploitation just purely for survival, for food and for shelter. Hmm. Wow, there you touched on something as well. You know, perpetrators of trafficking. We, we talk a, a lot about, you know, in situations of sexual abuse and even rape, you know, often you know stats say probably 90% of the time your abuser is known to you and here again we're talking very very similar reality when it comes to trafficking and I think again that's not something you hear about you hear a lot about people maybe answering you know an advertisement for a job and then they go and they you know around people that they don't know but here we're talking about, you know, maybe someone even in your church, maybe someone even in this, your school, you know, a teacher, a coach. And like you said, this is research that you've looked into and that you've been involved with for so long and have been looking at and doing. And I think that it's a very big wake up call to us. We need to, you know, just as, as normal individuals, as society, we need to be more vigilant. We need to be more awake to what is really happening around us. And Wow, I think that is something that is, has really, really struck me, you know, that if your your trafficker is known to you, it's someone you trust, you know, it's it's actually quite, quite scary and quite sad at the same time. And we're going to go to a really, really quick song break. I don't want my listeners to go anywhere because when we get back, I really want to touch on, you know, why are these cases so severely underreported? And there must be things that's happening that we don't know about. So stick around, enjoy some music, and I'll chat with you again after this. You're with me, Lauren Jacobs, here on Voice of Change, and I'm joined by Inna Lucia, and we are talking about men and boys who become victims of human trafficking. Now, why this is important is because it is important, full stop. I'm not even going to give you a reason. It's super, super important because when we talk about human trafficking, we often have a very, very straightforward viewpoint of it. We know, you know, like we were talking about earlier on, the stats say, you know, 65% of People that are trafficked are women and girls, but we also know that the numbers are rising and the cases are underreported so much when it comes to men and boys who are, who have been trafficked and who are being trafficked right now. And the forms of trafficking is so very different. And you know, in a, I just feel that cases being underreported means, just like you said earlier on, that stats are not really going to give us a huge, huge overview of what exactly is happening because we know if it's underreported, we're not hearing the stories. What, what is happening that cases are underreported? You know, cases of human trafficking with boys and with men, grown men, severely underreported. Why? Is this because there's a stigma attached to it? Is there shame? Is it just the human experience? Is it just things that we don't know? Is it something that is deeper? Is there a depth to why this has been underreported? So thank you so much for bringing that up. And I think it's actually a combination of everything that you mentioned. So number one is definitely the perception of masculinity where boys feel like they can't show these emotions and they cannot be seen as weak. We also have guilt, shame, and fear, and this is actually part of the grooming process where an adult uses manipulation, gaslighting, emotional and mental abuse to control um, over the child, so the boy, or actually the man. 
There's also threats towards the victim or the victim's family and extreme violence towards them. And then we also have uh, cases of dissociation and complex PTSD. And this is where many survivors experience a complete loss of their memory, which is the brain's way of protecting itself from the trauma. But many survivors can go decades without any memory of their exploitation. Mm. We also have minimal coverage of male victims in the news, in the media and reports. We have minimal support services available for male victims. And then the resources for female victims, they don't always work for males. Mm. And then another big one is um, not being believed. So most of the survivors in my study actually tried to tell family, friends, medical staff, police, and they were not believed. And this was to the degree that some male survivors were even given back to their abusers mm. or traffickers by police or medical staff. And then another big one is that abused boys are so scared to tell someone that they've been abused or trafficked, thinking that they will be seen as future perpetrators of the same crimes. Mm. So this seems like an actual fact that it's a society that's really, really failing survivors and victims, that we as communities in society and even, you know, at national level of different countries, we actually seem to be failing victims and survivors because, again, if they're not being believed or if it's just, you know, the shame and the guilt is there, then how are we going to assist victims and survivors? And and essentially, if we are failing as societies to, you know, create safe spaces and spaces and just belief, common belief that your story is true, then how are we going to move forward? Is there a way that we actually need to move forward so that we can stop, you know, being actually people and societies who secondary victimize, you know, survivors. So I think we need to stop telling these lies to men and boys, like no matter what they were wearing at the time, what they looked like, what their characteristics were, what their body type, we need to stop victim blaming. Mm. And even how they got into the trafficking, whether it was voluntary or not, when they were older as adults. And we need to listen and believe them. And I think just as people show them kindness, respect, dignity, love and support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that, you know, showing them kindness and, and that support and dignity. I remember being very, very young and hearing a story about someone that our family knew who was actually trafficked and was a, a male victim of trafficking. And I remember being very, very young, was probably eight or nine. And I remember how deeply hurtful and damaging everybody experienced this just the compassion and the care for the victim was was really really great I do remember that but I do remember also just feeling confused you know why did this happen to a guy that was my thought and it's simply because we are not taught about these stories we do not hear victims and survivors stories men and boys you know and again if we can create safer spaces and we cannot be judgmental people I think that there would be so much more stories that we would hear Have there been stories that you have heard that you can maybe just touch on with us, you know, that have really, really impacted you and have really kind of shaped how you have thought about male victims and survivors of trafficking? Yeah, and so when I actually first went into this study, I was um, a very big feminist and thinking females are victims, men are perpetrators, and that was my point of view and 
being in even in the realm of anti-trafficking and helping children, I had this point of view. And so I can see how globally many people would. And so it was actually through learning more about male victims and being told to kind of hey, maybe look into this. And, and so I, the more I looked into it and the more stories I heard, the more my heart broke. And because in reality, these are, these are children that this is happening to. And of course, this can happen to older men. And mm. I just think that what really impacted me was um, their willingness to, to speak and share their stories once they knew they were at a safe space and that someone would believe them. And their willingness to even put themselves back into triggering conversation just to be able to potentially help the next person through this research and so that's been so impactful for for me personally Mm. actually i wanted to ask you what led you to get into you know anti-trafficking work was it again i love that you shared you know coming from that feminist perspective and and our understanding of trafficking and and i have a lot of friends who actually are feminists and colleagues that are feminists in different areas and and the way that they talk about trafficking and rape and abuse which is my field uh, is 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 very specific you know we have these narratives and what led you to get involved in anti-trafficking? Was it from that perspective? Was it just wanting to learn more or being helpful? Because it's such a it's such a powerful place to be. It's such powerful work, but I'm sure it's also quite intense work at times as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so when I was a child growing up, I always loved learning about human rights and helping others and I was very big into the civil rights movement in in uh, the United States and mm. and as a child I thought it had finished <laughs> and of course in the mind of a child when you think okay like it we um, they they went forward and they asked for the rights and they got them and yes you know slavery is finished mm. <laughs> so when you're when when you're a child and then I found um, there was this organization that's absolutely incredible called Love 146, and they um, have this video where it's like a cartoon animated video um, of the experience that the founders went when they went over to Southeast Asia. They found um, this like brothel and they went undercover and they wanted to see the real situation. And so they found this little girl on this. Um, so there's given a menu and then they found all these children and on their um on their shirt is pinned like numbers. So for example, 146, and that little girl was looking straight at them and they decided they wanted to name their organization after her because Mm -hmm. she still had that fight in her. And so when I saw this video, when I was in my early teens, I was just heartbroken. And not only did slavery exist, but it was targeting children. And Mm -hmm. I just broke down, my heart broke and I just, wanted to dedicate myself to this and it was actually like in that exact moment that I thought okay I want to learn as much as I can and I want to do something about this and so that's what led my journey over the last 10 years um, continuously looking for more opportunities to to help or to assist in any way that I can um, in this field and so that's kind of what got me into into where I am today but um, hmm. I'm, I'm actually very happy that it is hard work but it's so it's so good because um, I not only see for, for example now I have friends coming to me and disclosing that they were also victims and it just wow. it shows me that through this research 
I'm not just fulfilling my own, you know, masters that mm -hmm. I need to do, but I'm, it is also opening up the conversation to people that thought, you know, no one would ever believe them or, or, or listen. And it's, it's become a greater impact than I ever thought it would be. Mm, wow. That's so powerful and it's so special because it's almost, you know, it, it really sounds like this was your destiny. This was your calling and your purpose. And, and especially when you have that from a young age, you know that, you know, when, you're, when your youngest child's heart, you know, when you're a young child, that heart was beating for something, you know, I truly believe that it's because it was totally aligned for you. You know, it was kind of where you needed to be. And I really just honor you for this work that you're doing as well. It's so important and so powerful. And I've just seen that when, like you said, when you create safe spaces or you become a safe person for other people to share their story, then it just is such an impactful reality. And this brings me to then asking as well, something that I really want to, to kind of share with the listeners today is, you know, how do we become people like part of just society, even in our churches as well, even in our communities, you know, in our families as well. How do we become people who know the warning signs? Like how do we know when there's an unsafe person? It could even be a family member. It could even be someone in, you know, in a church. Unfortunately, we hear about so much abuse that does happen there. And how do we look out for warning signs? What should we be looking for? So that is a very great um, question on warning signs. So um, there's actually a lot of behavior warning signs of sexual exploitation. And so, for example, uh, we have runaway behavior, uh, homelessness, multiple foster placements, um, oppositional behavior, uh, parents that have substance abuses, when the when the person or the child looks helpless, has depression, anxiety, they're socially isolated, they're setting fires. We also have suicidal like intentions in in their mind, um, or their current status is a runaway, or they're involved in a gang. There could be signs of physical abuse. Um, they could also have multiple sexual transmitted diseases. Um, they could be traveling and staying at other hotels. Um, they can also be in the presence of someone that's controlling, such as a family member or a boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, if it's a child, they could be bedwetting quite often or unable to control themselves in public with urination. Uh, they could have access to multiple phones or unexplained hotel keys, large amounts of cash on them, new clothing, jewelry, tech items, or um, this is also true with tattooing and branding. A lot of traffickers um, show their ownership over a person or a child um, that have these unexplained tattoos and usually these people are unwilling to um, to explain why they have those tattoos. Hmm. Wow, thank you so much for that because I was actually writing that down. There's so much that we can be aware of and that we can look at for. And I really, really want to encourage the listeners today to take note of these things. Anna Lucia, I wanted to actually ask you something that is, is very, very important, I feel. You know, sometimes you maybe are, f you know, a family member who realizes that, okay, maybe you realize, you know, my loved one was trafficked 
you know, my son was trafficked or my nephew was trafficked or someone I love, you know, I'm a foster mom and or foster dad and, uh, you know, something happened and it wasn't me. I, I didn't traffic them. But, you know, my son now has come home and they were trafficked. They are a survivor. How do families really, really help survivors when they have a loved one? Obviously, it's quite devastating for a whole family. And obviously, just trying to make sense out of it and trying to deal with the guilt, obviously, that many people feel. How do you really just support a loved one who has been trafficked, who is a survivor? And I suppose that this question can, you know, go for both sides, you know, men and women who have been trafficked. But how do you really support a loved one? I think that that's a very important question. Mm -hmm, Very good question. So one of the hardest parts in welcoming back a child or a man that has experienced rape or trafficking And in so many cultures and family dynamics, they do not want to believe that this isn't even possible for for a male. Um, So the community and the family unit need to understand that this is going to be a long and hard process for everyone involved. But a lot of compassion and patience is needed. So when they are ready to talk, we need to listen to understand and to believe them. And we can say things like, how can I help you the way you want to be helped? So not to impose what we think will be helpful. And also a big thing is to not cut off the relationship with the survivor that just recently opened up to you. Um, So for example, life may be busy, but it is good to continue that relationship with them and to treat them just like a human being and not be seen just as a victim. We also need to encourage them to seek out help through community groups, online groups, therapy, counseling services, And actually the family themselves that are supporting this survivor um, need to get help themselves to support um, their own mental health and either through their own community groups, therapy, um, some forms of self-care because this process will be long and emotionally draining. So everyone involved needs to have their own support system throughout this process. Mm. Thank you so much. That's a really, really good point as well. This is a process for, as well, the whole family. And Anna Lucia, I want to say thank you so much for being with me today because this has been such a great conversation. And it's, you know, so important that we talk about these realities and topics that people don't often talk about. And in closing, I want to ask you one final thing while I have you here. And that is, you know, are things changing for male victims and survivors? Are more survivors telling their stories? And are people being more educated and aware about men and boys who are being trafficked? Is there a change that's happening or is there still a lot that still needs to be done? So to address that question, I actually think it's both. Um, I think that there is change and now that there's more conversation about it and even this radio show, it's so vital that people hear and survivors hear that these conversations are being spoken about and there is support for them and there are people that are willing to stand by them and believe. But there also needs to be a lot more change and support and mindset changes to cultural narrative changes with this. Um, But there are a lot of really great organizations in the international community of male survivors from online forums, 
that uh, men can safely interact with anonymously. Mm. Um, there is healing retreats, uh, YouTube videos, live events for sharing stories, international help hotlines. So some very great examples of this actually in South Africa, mm. we actually have Matrix Men and that one, that organization is absolutely phenomenal for not only helping men of sexual abuse, but you know, men that need support in this process and in-person um, support for this. We also have malesurvivor.org, which is like an online community. Mm -hmm. They have over 15,000 members that are supporting each other. Um, we also have organizations like One in Six, Men's Healing, The Men's Story Project, Rain, Forge, and then also Child Helplines International, ECPAT, Know Your Rights. And so organizations like this are set up um, so that any child or male victim can go to these online or in-person like Matrix Men mm -hmm. and get the support needed, um, whether it's through a community group, um, whether it's uh, mental health and therapy, or just a place that they can tell their story and know that they will be believed. Hmm. Well, thank you so much. I wrote down some of those names and I'm going to be giving them out right at the end of the show again. Matrix Men is just such an incredible organization. Martin Powell has been on the show multiple times. And I'm so grateful that you mentioned that because I totally know that this organization is doing such amazing work here in South Africa. And Matrix Men is such a good place. You know, if there's if there's something you write down and you take away from this, you need some help yourself or you know a loved one who has been trafficked, who has, you know, come out of trafficking is a survivor, you know, connect with Matrix Men as well. They will truly help you and guide you through the healing, the journey, the process. And Lucia, thank you so much for being with me today. Again, you know, I just honor you for this incredible work and research that you are doing. And I cannot wait for the years ahead, you know, where we learn more, where we know more, where we see more changes happening and where we hear more conversations happening like this. But this was impactful today. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. It was such a privilege to talk to you, Lauren. Thank you so much and take care. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm so grateful for Anna Lucia. I'm so grateful for women and men you know, who are working in this field, who are doing such incredible work, advocacy work, research work, policy making, you know, empowering. And you know what? I just want to say today that if you are listening and you are a family member of a loved one who has been trafficked, who is a survivor, I pray that your heart will be encouraged today. I pray that, you know, God's grace and his love and his comfort and mercy will truly, truly be with you. Because I know that it's not easy. We have said on the show today that this is a reality that affects the whole family. And I encourage you to, if you need to or you need to do this for a loved one, get in touch with one of those organizations that we mentioned on the show. Matrix Men, just Google it. Go to their Facebook page. They have a powerful Facebook page. They have a brick and mortar building now up in Johannesburg side. And also they are available nationally to help victims, survivors, and their families. There's also malesurvivor.com. One in six. You can just Google that organization as well as the Men's Story Project. Now, the Men's Story Project is something that I've been reading lately. And it is just really, really sometimes difficult to hear these stories, but also so it just does something to you. It's, it's, you know what, 
There is a saying, there is a quote from Brene Brown. It says, you know, when we share stories, shame cannot exist anymore. And I just honor those who are speaking and those who are sharing their stories. And we just encourage you, you know what, if maybe that's you, just get in touch with somebody. And we want you to know that you're not alone. We want you to know that if you're a survivor, we believe you. If you've never told your story, you know what, it's up to you. Take your time. But we want to say that we really believe you. There are people who believe your story and that know you know what's that what happened to you is real and so we encourage you today to just get in touch with somebody to the families we also know that this is tough for you get that support get that love get that help and thank you so much to everybody who's working in this field i'm really grateful for each and every single one of you until next week on voice of change take care may god bless you and keep you safe see you then This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.